Recovery Elevator episode 439. I pick and choose where I'm going to be today. And that's that's the blessing. That's what I'm grateful for, that I, I have that right. And I know that I have that right. You know, I get to choose today what I get to do. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Liz. She's 38 years old from Lavelle, Maryland, and took her last drink on December 31st, 2022. Great job, Liz. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. You guys do such an incredible job. And listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. And before we get any further in today's episode, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Athletic Greens. Thank you to our newest partner, Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens daily. I gave AG1 a try because I noticed that I was taking multiple supplements a day and I was searching for something that took care of my immune system as well as gut health all in one. I'm training for another marathon and I take AG1 in the morning before getting my run in and it makes me feel like I'm ready to conquer the day. I'm a busy working mom and it gives me such peace of mind knowing that I'm helping my body by providing it with all of the nutrients that it needs in a day. I've been taking AG1 for two months now and I have noticed how good I feel throughout the day and how I don't immediately need caffeine upon waking up. All you have to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and voila, your cells will be grateful. One daily serving of AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. Check it out. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about developing a spiritual practice and why this is important. Now, I'm certain some of you saw the title of this episode and said, nope, not happening. Because just as there is a stigma regarding alcohol and addiction, a stigma is most definitely hitched to spirituality and especially religion. So let me come out of the gate hot and say this podcast has no religious affiliation. This is not a religious podcast. In my opinion, religion and spirituality are not two sides of the same coin. They are completely different. It is possible for a person to attend church services every Sunday and be spiritually empty. At the same time, someone can be spiritually full and have never stepped into a place of worship. Do you guys track? Are you still with me? In order to cover why a spiritual practice is important when it comes to ditching the booze, we must first cover the order of destruction and the order of healing. All right, so alcohol kills in this order, spiritually, mentally, and then physically. When we drink alcohol, spiritually, our electrical current or thread to the universe is severed. In fact, in many cultures, the name alcohol literally means soul-sucking spirit. Then mentally, the chemical alcohol turns our brain into a tepid soup. After that, we have the physical component and pancreatitis and liver failure come to mind. When we ditch the booze, coupled with recovery work, the healing process happens in reverse order. First, Physically, the cells and tissues in our body begin to repair themselves as the onslaught of poison has been removed. Mentally, the fog lifts. 
the chemicals of serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, and oxytocin find a new homeostasis. Then we connect with the self where the spiritual dimension opens. We can only work on the spiritual component of healing when the physical and mental systems in the body have given us the green light to proceed. Now here is a big asterisk. For many of us, there is a clear spiritual moment right at or near the time of our last drink. This is called the window of clarity. Bill W. saw the lights in his hospital bedroom in 1934. So the asterisk is that the spirituality component is always with you, but it's almost a triage of sorts in the order of healing. First, you need to physically and mentally heal before you can connect deeper with yourself and the universe. So what is a spiritual practice? What is spirituality? There are infinite definitions, but here we go. Let's give this a shot. Spirituality. We are connecting with the self. We are connecting within. You become more ocean and less wave. You take your seat at the table as an active participant in nature. You're realigning more with your authentic self who has one foot in the spirit world and one foot in the physical world at all times. You begin to row your boat gently down the stream opposed to going upstream. In terms of energy and vibration, you become less dense. You emit more light. In fact, you've always emitted light, but you now radiate even more. This one isn't a metaphor. The human body is a fully electromagnetic light emitting system. In short, spirituality is connection with the self, which then inevitably leads to a connection in the outside world with nature, with the stars, with the food, with the animals, with the universe, with the higher power, and some may call it God. Why do we drink? Why did we drink? To get this sense of connection. So in developing a spiritual practice, let's get this started with a quote. This one is from Ray Wiley Hubbard. The days in which my gratitude exceed my expectations are really good days. So here are some examples of some spiritual practices that you could implement. And let's get it started with some gratitude. One can find a comfortable position, orientate themselves towards the sun, and for two minutes, in an audible voice only you can hear, let the sun know what you are thankful for. All right, let's keep going. For spiritual practices, you could go for a walk outside. You could sit in a chair and focus on your breath intently for 60 seconds. You could sit in a chair and focus on your breath intently for five seconds. You could place your hands on the earth and introduce yourself. You could place your hands on your heart and introduce yourself. You could start asking the universe for guidance, strength, and courage. What's that line? Ask and you shall receive. You could purchase a plant and say, what's up to it daily. Next up, you could learn five constellations. Next up, you could find your voice. Yes, we have the voice inside the head, but that is not you. Finding your voice means locating which voice is you. Now, this can be a tricky one, but it's super important. In AA, this is called making conscious contact. And to do so, you need to find your voice. Next up for a spiritual practice, you can read an Eckhart Tolle book or another book on spirituality. Pick up some Palo Santo on Amazon. It smells unbelievable when burned. Seeking ways to find peace instead of being right is a big time spiritual practice. And what you seek is also seeking you. Bird watching is a spiritual practice. Listening to your favorite album is a spiritual practice. Yoga is spiritual. Meditation is a spiritual practice. So is breath work. Go outside without your shoes after a rainstorm. Any time spent with animals is a spiritual practice. 
Treating others the way that you would like to be treated is a spiritual practice. In fact, that's a big one. Taking your time to eat a meal is a spiritual practice. Write an anonymous letter to a friend, neighbor, or a stranger and let them know that they are doing a great job at this thing we call life. Donating your time is a spiritual practice. Remembering loved ones who have passed is a spiritual practice. Journaling is a spiritual practice. Being a parent is most definitely a spiritual practice. And let's go for it. Eventually, living life is the spiritual practice. Now, the list I just mentioned, those are recommendations, prompts, or seeds. As I mentioned, there are infinite spiritual practices. A bit more about the practice. That's just it. It's a practice. You'll want to do this with consistency and practice it. I'd start with something that takes less than five minutes and start with three times per week. Yes, the thinking mind will tell you this is a stupid idea and that you're too busy. But what else would the self-preservation mechanics of the ego say? After all, you developing a spiritual practice is you stepping away from the thoughts inside your head. So why are you doing this? Why am I suggesting building a spiritual practice? I'm going to give it to you straight. You can't do this alone in the long run, and the universe wants to help. You just have to practice and build that connection. One more thing before we close the intro today. Yes, the order of healing is physical, mental, and then spiritual, but these are not rigid linear boxes. Don't wait till month six or year 10 before beginning a spiritual practice. In fact, you can get started with it right now. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. I had a good time putting it together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Liz. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to do. I read a quote recently that I really liked. It said, whenever you can't decide which path to take, pick the one that produces change. It resonated with me. These words are very clear and simple, but honestly, for me, sometimes doing the right thing is hard to do. How are we even supposed to know what the right thing is? When I find myself here, having a therapist has been crucial. I need a different perspective. I need someone to catch my blind spots and challenge me gently. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Liz, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I understand you've listened to several episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast. I'm honored. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your time. And thanks for sharing your story into a drinking problem, into addiction, and also out of it. I cannot wait to share your story. But before we get into any of that, let's just get started. When was your last drink? My last drink was December 31st of 2022. I love those New Year's Eve sobriety dates. I had one of them that lasted for 10 months. But before we get into anything else, I want to hear a little bit more background about you, Liz. Where are you from? What do you uh, what do you do for a living? How old are you? Do you have a family? And most importantly, Liz, what do you like to do for fun? 
Absolutely. Okay, so I am from a little town in Western Maryland, uh, LaVale, Maryland. I'm about an hour and a half um, from D.C. and Baltimore. I have two kids. I'm married. I have a teenager. He's 14 and I have a 10 year old. I'm a registered nurse. I am finishing my bachelor's right now, starting my master's in July, which I'm so excited for. And what I like to do, well, I've been married to my husband for almost 12 years. And what I like to do for fun is pretty much anything outdoors. I love kayaking, hiking, uh, biking, camping, anything and everything it has to do with outdoors. I'm totally down for and a huge, huge into soccer. My boys play soccer. So I'm one of those soccer moms and actually leaving tomorrow for a soccer tournament out of town. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, Liz, I'm blessed to live in the Rockies, very high mountains, but I understand in, in Maryland where you live, there's still great access to nature and beautiful mountains. And I've oh, heard yeah. there are ski resorts out there too. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are surrounded by ski resorts. We are surrounded by a trail that can take from Cumberland, Maryland. I can go all the way from Pittsburgh on my bike, or I can go all the way down to DC, just depending on which uh, way you want to travel. So we're surrounded by so much here. It's a little place, but it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely love it. And I, I want to ask you a question before we get into your story. You mentioned you're mm -hmm. a nurse. I, I read am. a stat before, and I've come across this several times. It says, mm -hmm. An estimated 40 to 70% of hospital beds have underpinnings to alcohol. Does that hold water according to you? I mean, that seems very high to me, but also I believe it at the same time. Are you that seeing that at work? Awesome question because I, I was a critical care nurse. I worked in ICU for uh, about five years and we saw a lot, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of alcohol withdrawal, um, a lot of alcohol deaths. Actually, one of the first deaths that I ever saw was a woman in her 40s, and she suffered from the disease of alcoholism and sadly passed away. Oh. And it's a lot. And it's real scary to see. It's real scary. And you would think for me being an alcoholic myself that that would have sobered me up. Did not. But yeah, that that holds truth for sure. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, seeing somebody who's 40 die of alcoholism. Oh, it's did it's, that light the fire with you a, a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, before I even became a nurse, you know, the the term alcoholism or alcoholic, I didn't really think a lot about it or like DTs, like delirium tremens, and it couldn't put like two and two together. But when I actually saw it, it scared me. I'm like, this is not the way that I want to go. And I would always remember that during my um, sobriety journey, like you don't want to end up this way, but I kept going, you know, it, it takes a lot. It took a, a big rock bottom for me to stop, but it is probably one of the most horrific deaths anybody could go through. Wow. And when I say underpinnings to alcohol, right, the cause of death might be, you know, kidney failure, pancreatitis or liver failure, heart disease. But the underpinning of that is 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 alcohol. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you're right. Sometimes we need that jolt. It It is a burst of energy. It's a rock bottom. It's a huge wake up call. Yeah. Uh, I like how you said that. Mm -hmm. So, so Liz, let's get into your, your story with alcohol. And again, sure. thank you for being brave enough for having the courage to come on this this podcast. Listeners, it's a total crapshoot to get on this podcast. It's all random. I was out of town for, for six <laughs> weeks and uh, sometimes I get the email and I, I'm full, but I got the email at the right time for Liz. And uh, here we are again. Thanks for listening, but let's do what we came here to do. 
um, when did you first recognize alcohol was problematic? Or you can even start when you you first started drinking, but let's get into it. And let's also save okay. some time for the answer for, for your sobriety. Absolutely. So thanks again for having me. It's an honor. So, you know, I grew up in a family, very tight knit family. I'm one of three girls. I'm the youngest. Um, we're all two years apart. Mom and dad are still together. You know, no really significant trauma. The first time I ever had a drink, Sadly, when I was in sixth grade, my um, one of my closest cousins passed away from a traumatic, um, tragic car accident. And he had a sister that was my age. And I would stay the night at their house a lot. And my uncle um, was an alcoholic. I mean, at the time, I didn't know like what that meant. I would just always see him drinking. And, you know, as being in middle school, we would, you know, sneak beers or whatever. And I didn't get really that euphoric feeling, you know, a lot of people talk about when they have their first drink, it was more of like, ew, like gross, like it was like Milwaukee's best or something like that, you know, but um, so I had my first drink probably, yeah, uh, in sixth grade, you know, I was probably like 12, 13 years old. And I had a lot of friends, um, friends that owned a, well, two friends uh, in particular that owned a bar in the small town I grew up in. Their parents owned a bar. And during, you know, late middle school into early high school, um, we would, they would keep their stock for their bar in their garage right next to their house. And we would go in there and we would steal bottles and stuff and we would get completely lit. But not to the, you know, it wasn't like I was drinking every day or anything like that. You know, it was more of like just the the fun of sneaking out and, you know, grabbing booze from their stock and stuff like that. So throughout high school, I wasn't really big into drinking. Yeah, we had a lot of parties, like especially, you know, in the fields and, you know, where I'm from, it's um, you get a big campfire together and everybody's, you know, having a couple drinks and stuff. And, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. I, I dabbled in a lot of different other substances, you know, just like experimental stuff in high school. Alcohol really didn't become a problem to me until my later 30s. I moved out of my parents' house at a young age. I moved out at 19 and moved into, we're close to a, um, a university here where I live. And I moved into a house um, with five other people and it was like party central. Like we would party and party and party. And um, at that time I was a server and, you know, you know, server goes really, really well with drinks. And I ended up upgrading to being a bartender um, at the age of 21. So I just thought it was normal. You know, I was drinking just like everybody else was drinking, even though I'd be always the last one drinking. And, you know, I would go home, sleep in till two or three, get up and work my bartending shift and, you know, rinse and repeat, do the same thing all the time. But it really, um, like I said, didn't become a problem until I went back to nursing school. This, so this was, I would say 2011, I got married. I went back to nursing school in 2015. So in 2015, Nursing school was really, really hard. A lot of pressure. I I tell this to people all the time. The nursing program, just to get your associates, is two years. It should be a four-year program because it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of studying. So 2015, at that time, I was married. I had two kids. My husband, gratefully and thankfully, worked so I could stay home and take care of my children and go to school. But my drinking picked up to help 
you know, it was a stress reliever for me. You know, I, I would finish a bottle, a bottle, a half of wine in a night and be totally fine, you know, and go to sleep, go to school, get up the next morning, go to school. And I noticed, I'm like, this isn't normal. Like I shouldn't be drinking this much. I have two kids, you know, and it got to the point where I missed out a lot of a lot on with my kids at that point, you know, because I was doing so much with school. And when I was done with my schoolwork, I would quickly like want to put them to bed so I could hurry up and drink, you know, at that point in time, I wasn't a day drinker, you know, and I always had it in my mind, like, well, I don't have a problem because I haven't started drinking during the day yet. I know a lot of listeners were were shaking their head up and down when you justified said, I can't have a drinking problem because I'm not day drinking or I'm only drinking on the weekends. So did that line get crossed? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it definitely got crossed. So I graduated uh, nursing school and actually today, this day in uh, 2017, and I immediately went straight into the intensive care unit to work. Probably not the best choice. <laughs> um, you get a lot of experience, but working in the ICU is a it's a lot. You know, you see a lot of traumatic things. And I wasn't used to death. I wasn't used to high paced stuff. I just knew that I wanted a nursing profession that always changed. I would always see something new. And one of the, like I said, one of the first deaths that I saw sadly was a 40 year old uh, woman who died of alcoholism. And just fast forward a little bit in 2018, I, I started on night shift and night shift is rough. Night shift as a nurse is rough and night shift as an ICU nurse is rough because you're left to your own devices. You don't have a lot of the higher up people there, you know, you're pretty much depending on you and your coworkers to save somebody's life. You know, you don't have the the doctors there um, at your beck and call. And it was a lot of stress. So I couldn't adapt well to coming home the morning of, you know, the next morning of working and falling asleep. So um, I would work maybe like two or three shifts in a row. And after that, I would binge, I would binge drink, I would come home from work, and I would drink my husband's bourbon. And I would think that he wouldn't know and refill it back up with water. And I did that for a good six months. In question, when you're coming home from work, this is at like 6am, 7am type stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're you're drinking bourbon to the schedules are flipped. But Okay. okay, Mm -hmm. I hear you there. Now, earlier you said, you know, you're looking forward to the drink, to putting the beds to sleep and looking forward to a drink. Mm -hmm. Um, There was an internal voice saying, wait a second, um, this might be going off track, but there's a justification. I'm only, you know, I haven't done it this much. Everybody else is drinking the same amount. You know, when were, when were those thresholds reached? Did you attempt to quit? Was there any moderation techniques there? There were so many moderation techniques or that, I mean, I would... I would always justify saying, well, I don't drink every day because I would never go to work hungover or anything like that. It was more like a binge drinking. But yeah, I would try to moderate. Um, I would go a week without drinking, but I could tell a huge difference in my personality. I would be angry. I would be filled with um, anxiety. I, I could tell like it was changing me as a person. So I would try and try and try. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. This is without alcohol, the anxiety would spike. 
Right. Like, okay. Right. Angrier they, without it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the anxiety and I never really had anxiety before, especially growing up. I, I, I didn't really have the, the palpitations and like the, just the feeling of like something bad is going to happen, you know, until I took that drink and then I was like, Oh, okay. You know, so by the end of um, 2018, I actually entered my first uh, treatment facility. I en- ended up going to inpatient rehab in Virginia and came home uh, December of 2018. And I stayed sober for six months. I didn't touch anything. I was attending AA. You know, I, I was doing all these things that was suggested. Um, I had a sponsor. Um, I hadn't started working the steps yet, but I was doing things that I had learned in inpatient treatment until June of 2019. I hit my six months and my kids do a sand soccer tournament every year in Virginia Beach. And I went there and I didn't have a plan. I did. Nobody knew that I was an alcoholic except my husband. And I was going with a bunch of other soccer moms that liked to party the whole group and nothing against them at all. And one of the girls saw that I wasn't drinking. And she looked at me and she said, what are you, an AA or something? And I, like, there was a fire that lit inside of me. I got so angry that I went straight to the bar and started drinking and I ended up relapsing. Wow. Now, Liz, I got to comment on that statement right now by that woman. What are you, an AA or something? I've done Mm -hmm. a YouTube video. The most common responses you're going to get when you tell people you don't drink or you're not drinking. I don't know that women, I wasn't there, but I'm guessing that falls under the category of that person is questioning their own drinking norms, right? Their own, their own drinking habits. And when they see someone externally, which questions their own drinking habits, they call it out. It's a very rare response, but I see it too. I've, I've received it, but I know now that person is almost questioning their own drinking and they want everybody around to drink as much as they do or else, oh shit, they might have to look at their own problem. Could be wrong, but I think that's what's going down then. Now, looking back, always 2020s hindsight, mm-hmm. going into that sand soccer tournament with the mm-hmm. moms who like to go for it, mm-hmm. what would you have done differently to be successful in that spot? Oh, I absolutely would have had a plan. I would have had exit strategies. Um, I would have been open and honest with the people around me um, before going and really just having a network of people that support me. Like I said, I was in AA, but I didn't have a good network of um, people in sobriety. I, looking back, I I don't think that I wanted it at that time. I think I was trying to force it upon myself to be sober, even though I was I wanted to be, but I didn't want to be. You know, I still had a reservation in the back of my mind that thought I was going to be able to drink again one day. So looking back, I've, I would have had so many sober people around me to be able to call in a heartbeat if I knew that I was going to be in trouble and I wouldn't have surrounded myself with those people. You know, it's not, I, now today I wouldn't surround myself in a situation like that. I wouldn't go to a party where it's just going to be nothing but drinking, you know, I pick and choose where I'm going to be today. And that's, that's the blessing. That's what I'm grateful for that. I I have that right. And I know that I have that right. You know, I get to choose today what I get to do. And it's not my disease telling me like, you know, you have to be there, you know, you'll be fine. You, you know, I, I don't put myself in dangerous situations that I used to for sure. Yeah. So Liz, 
in June 2019, after Soccer Mommy says, hey, are you an AA, Team AA or whatnot? We're still right. three, I think three and a half or two and a half years from your sobriety yeah. date. Let's let's close that gap. And then I definitely want to hear, you know, how you got this last four and a yeah, half months. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's a very easy gap to close. COVID came. Um, everybody got off work in this in my family besides me. I worked COVID in ICU for the whole time and I hit rock bottom. And I hit rock bottom of January of 2022. Um, I ended up losing my job. All of 2022 was just a disaster. I spent a lot of time in treatment. I spent a lot of time figuring out what the bottom, like what was underneath, what needed to be healed. What, what, what was it? Because I knew it just wasn't the alcoholism. I knew there was something else that had to be fixed. And it was me. It was internal me. So my last drink was December 31st of 2022. I have to ask, did you know that was going to be your last drink? Did you, was that a plan? No. Or did you wake up the Mm-mm. next day and like, whoa, last night got out of control? No, it didn't. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that came in um, that we hadn't seen before COVID. And it was a lot of my husband's friends. And I snuck all the alcohol. I hit it. And because everybody else was doing it, you know, I wanted to be a part of. But the next morning, I I knew, like, that was it. This is something something changed. And what changed was I was working a program, but I wasn't working a program. I didn't have a sponsor and I wasn't working the steps. And that morning I got a sponsor and I said, please help me work the steps. And I know a lot of, I know a lot of people are into um, 12 step programs and I wasn't either, but it has changed my life. And I've never felt this way before, ever. I was always anti-sponsor, anti-step work, but it has, I'm on step four right now. And it it has brought light to my life and things that I have made peace with in my life. And I didn't think that it would be possible to feel this way um, after years and years of drinking and substance abuse. I didn't think that that, I didn't think that that was a, an option for me. Yeah. Liz, there's a couple things I want to comment there. First off, sometimes rock bottoms can be a single moment. Sometimes rock bottom can be entire year, like 2022 for you. Now Mm -hmm. there's a universal law that says that calm always follows chaos, right? This is on the macro and on the micro. And so listeners, if you are out there just feeling pure chaos daily with your addiction, calm is on the horizon. Please trust us. It is. Listen to Liz. It is there. Now, I I want to expand a little bit more on January 1st of 2023, where, Mm -hmm. you know, that mental space where you knew that something had to be different. You reached out and got a sponsor and Mm -hmm. you said you were anti-sponsor, anti-steps, which I was too for a long time. I think everybody is anti-everything when it comes to quitting drinking. When you're ready, it doesn't matter if you're getting a sponsor, doing the steps or chasing Pokemon, like you're, you're ready to do something different. Can you expand a little bit more just on on the that window of clarity you had on on January 1st? I just knew I woke up that morning and it's the first of the year. It's the first of a brand new year and I reflected back on 2022 and what I put myself through, what I put my family through, my children and I'm like I can't I can't do this. It's this is not the life that I want to live. I don't deserve to live a life like that. I deserve to live a better life. And I couldn't sit there and imagine repeating 
the same 365 days of 2022. I just couldn't. And I knew something had to change. And at first had to be within me and I had to stop being lazy. You know, it's easy to just keep drinking. It really is. But it's, I mean, it is hard to, to get sobriety, you know, it is because you have to put in the work, um, no matter if it's a program or not, you still have to be able to find out that underlying reason, like why you're doing it, like, what is the issue? And I think I was just too scared to like peel back those layers and figure out who I actually am and, you know, what I've done. And I, I didn't want to live like that anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't, I've, I've. I needed to be here for my children and for my family, you know, and for my husband. So the clarity, the light bulb just flicked and said, the only thing you've never done is get a sponsor. I've had a sponsor before, but not in this relationship. And I knew I needed to work the steps. That's incredible to hear. Yeah. Now within this last four, four and a half months at the time of this recording, have mm -hmm. there been cravings and have you navigated those cravings? Actually, uh, I mean, there are times that I would be like, man, it'd be really nice to have a drink, but I ground myself very quickly on what that drink would lead me to. Like, you know, they always say, play the tape back. Like if you have that drink, what's going to happen? And I always think about the many times that, I, you know, that I've drank, I'll get blackout drunk. And, you know, January of 2023, my precious dad suffered a stroke. And I was just a couple weeks sober. And that was probably one of the toughest times I've ever had in my life. But you know what? I, I was able to be there sober for my dad, for my mom, and for my sisters, for my family. And I got through that without having one single drink. Because I thought, like, if I have a drink, I'm going to get blackout drunk and I'm not going to be able to be there for the people that need me the most. And that's what I keep in my head at all times all times now, like if you get drunk, you're not going to be there for anybody and you're not going to be able to help anybody. So I just kind of keep that. Um, I do a daily, you know, gratitude, like what I'm grateful for and just try to stay in the moment. I don't try to think about what happened last week or what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. You know, I try to stay within today because that's the most important. Yeah, Liz, I, I track with that for sure. Now in 2018, there was that sand, or I think it was June, 2019, there was that sand soccer tournament where nobody knows your desire to quit drinking or mm -hmm. your sobriety goals. Mm -hmm. What is that like now? I imagine your family knows, I'm um, sorry to hear about your father, but I, I imagine you're- Oh, he's doing great. Oh, okay. You. That's good to hear. But what about, what about the other parents on the soccer team? And I, I can tell so, you right now in yeah. my life, sorry, thank you. Thank you for the podcast. Everybody knows that Paul is sober and right. that's actually- right eliminated a lot of future dicey situations for me. So mm -hmm. what is that like for you? So, you know, I was gone for a lot of 2022 and a lot of people were asking, you know, where I was at and whatnot. So I did a, I have hardly ever post on Facebook, but I thought it was probably the best place to get my word out on my sobriety and what I've gone through. So um, I posted a big post on Facebook back in 2022 about my journey and everybody knows in this area that I'm in, you know, I'm on a journey of recovery and that I do not partake in any drinking or anything like that. I have a huge support system. What was the response like when you put that on Facebook? Oh my gosh. At, at first I thought it was, I thought it was going to be, you know, 
just hugs and prayers, you know, how many people do that. I got so many messages of like, I'm going through the same thing, or I have a loved one that's suffering from alcoholism and this, this and that. It was a huge outpour of love, but also thank you. There were a lot of thank yous for being open and honest and people reaching out to me and saying, you know, their story or, you know, a significant story, significant other story, you know, it was really awesome. And then how did that affect you on on your journey? Because that's not your sobriety date, you know, but, but how did that affect you and, and your goal of being the best version of you, Liz? You know, it was, it helps keep me accountable, you know, because when I see people out, I want them to be able to look at me and know that I'm sober, um, to keep my, to keep my end of the deal up. You know, I have a deal with myself and a deal with, you know, my higher power, like we're going to do this and we're going to show people that it's possible. We do, we can have sobriety in our lives, you know, as, as hard as it is because alcohol is, you know, everywhere it's, you know, birthday parties, baby showers, all this, you don't have to live like that just because that's what society thinks it is, you know? So it's actually freedom. It's a huge weight off my chest knowing that people can look at me and know that I'm sober. You know, I don't have to worry about being offered anything today. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's like an elephant came off of my chest, you know? Despite what the thinking mind tells us that the planets are going to fall out of orbit when we announce we're, we're quitting drinking, the result is what Liz just said, freedom. You feel free. My experience was the same, and I've heard hundreds of experiences the same. So listeners, if you're wondering what's on the other side, we can both summarize that with one word. It's it's freedom. Yeah. And more often than late, lately, I've been saying, I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm free. You know, Thank you so much, universe, higher power. Liz, you said the word higher power for you. What mm-hmm. what what does that look like for you in sobriety? It doesn't look I struggle for a long time to get a higher power or, you know, to even grasp the concept because I thought it had to be like a man with a beard and like, you know, how everybody, you know, some people say that. But to me, it's just knowing that there's something around me that always has my back, no matter what. It's not somebody that's always gonna save me from the bad because we're gonna have life on life's terms, you know but it's going to help me get through moments that are the hardest in my life. And it has helped me just having that bond, knowing that no matter what, I don't have to pick up. I don't have to pick up a drink and something's always going to be there to have my back. And I just had to have that connection, that relationship. It's not a, it's not a, a tangible thing I can touch and it's not, it's just there. It's like an aura, you know, it's just something that I can feel. And I feel it today for sure, because it has brought light back into my life. Liz, you said the word bond with a higher power, right? Mm -hmm. I feel addiction is disconnection. And the opposite Mm -hmm. of that is reuniting with something and a higher power. For me, I feel is important. And it seems like it's for you too. And you said the word, you know, we, we can do this right, right, right now. I remember when I was in the foxhole in 2013 and 2014, I switched it from, I can do this in the future to, I am doing this. And mm-hmm. then it changed again is to, we can do this. I mean, listeners, what sounds more like a higher chance of success? I can do this or we can do this, right? And I remember when I made those two big jumps, number one is like, I'm not quitting drink in the future, even though I'm on day one over and over, I am doing this. And then when I invited some sort of energy greater than myself, which is the universe for me, and I hear Mm -hmm. you with the man and the beard and all that stuff, I did struggle with that too. 
But once I got to the point like, no, we are effing doing this, the ball started to roll. I started to tell the people about my journey. And like you said, you you, you be honest, it creates accountability for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this intense pain that we suffer with our drinking, it empowers other people, but only if we share it, we open up about that. And, and that's a huge move, Liz, you did with your Facebook post that probably mm-hmm. saved some lives. Unbelievable. And, and you're on the other side of this. We're at four and a half months. You know, what have you learned about yourself along the way, Liz? Oh my goodness. Um, gosh, four and a half months. It, it feels a lot longer, but I've learned that I can persevere pretty much through anything that I'm a strong um, I'm I'm a very strong human being that I can make my own choices today and it's not being controlled by the disease of addiction. I am happy. I am laughing. I am having fun. Like people, when I first got sober or first started this sobriety journey, I thought my life was over. Oh my goodness. It had only just began by becoming sober. Like you see the world differently than what you do when you're drunk all the time. You see things that you actually love to do. You cherish the moments with your children and with your, you know, your spouse and your family. And it has been such, such a blessing to get that because I've struggled for so long and just knowing that I don't have to do that and that I have peace in my heart and love and that my family can actually see that. My friends can see that. And it has just made me want it even harder. I want it even more. I want this journey to continue for the rest of my life because it has made so many things possible for me today. Wow. You thought life was over, but it was just beginning. Listeners, if there's one takeaway from the episode, and there's been many Uh, That's a good one right there, right? Because the thinking mind will create a catastrophe in our brain, but real life, it's different when we stop drinking poison. I mean, you phrase it that way. It's like, oh gosh. And earlier you said, you know, you went like a week away from alcohol and the anxiety would increase, anger would increase. Listeners, Mm -hmm. that's normal. That's your body recalibrating. It's post-acute withdrawal symptoms. Those are healing symptoms. Yes, one or two nights away from alcohol is huge. A week away is huge. But to really give your body that reset, you know, there's a reason you've heard 30, 60, 90 days for the Mm -hmm. whole body, the whole human body to come back online and reset and mostly the dopamine system as well. So what's on what's on your bucket list? You said, I want this to stick. I want to keep going down this journey. You know, where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Oh my goodness. So I'm getting ready to start my master's in nursing in July. And I'm going, my goal is to teach. I love to teach. I want to be an educator in the nursing profession. So that's my goal. I see myself in the next couple of years. Um, Also, I want, you know, my family, we want to travel. We want to hit all the national parks in the United States. We're really, really big into hiking and every, anything outdoors, like I said in the beginning and really just being close with my family and doing things with them. Um, My parents are getting older, but you know, after my dad had a stroke, it's like, okay, this is real. Like things can happen any day. And I don't have like these major things as a bucket list, but these small, tiny things and small, tiny moments that I just want to have these next couple of years that are really, really important. But um, just seeing my kids grow, you know, being there with them through their journey and high school and graduations and proms and all those things. So just like the really sincere things in life that I'm looking forward to. 
One thing I think America has gotten right has been the preservation of our natural lands. What's the what are the top uh, national parks you want to visit? Oh, my gosh, this is a good question. Uh, Mount Rainier in Washington. We want to do um, Yellowstone and heard of it. we want. Yeah, you heard of it just a little bit. And I actually live close to one. It just became a national park is the um, New River Gorge in West Virginia. And it is absolutely beautiful. And I've been there many times, actually was proposed underneath of that bridge. And I want to go see the Redwoods for sure. Oh, the Redwoods is something it 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 makes you think about yourself because the everything is alive from the tiniest bush to the largest tree. I went mm-hmm. there right after getting sober with my dog, Ben, and while thinking about doing the Recovery Elevator podcast, and I remember standing below, I don't know, a thousand-year-old redwood tree, and I was the, the hairs on my arm were standing up. It's like, whoa, this something is talking to me right now. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Okay, well, Liz, wait, we yeah. have uh, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within ten to thirty seconds, that would be great. Are sure. you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is a memorable moment or your favorite sober moment? My favorite sober moment, and this is kind of um, not grim, but being able to sit next to my dad in the emergency room when he was having a stroke, and being sober, and being present, and being there with him. Liz, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Anything water. I love water. I love seltzer waters, flavored seltzer waters. I'm a huge water fan. I drink it all day. And a Diet Coke. All right. Liz, what advice would you give to your younger self? Believe in yourself. Don't think that you have to be somebody different. Don't be um, a follower. Be a leader. What is the point of life, Liz? The point of life is to live each and every day with love and growing each day and spending time with the ones you love most. Yeah, love it. What is your favorite 90s boy band that has a member named Lance in it? (laughs) Uh, I like, I mean, I liked NSYNC, right? But um, boy band? um, (laughs) That's what I was going for, but what's your favorite 90s band? Let's just go with that. Oh, Pearl Jam. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. And what are some of your resources that you tap into daily? Oh, man. Um, AA. Anything AA. Um, I read a lot of the big book. Um, I listen to, obviously, this podcast all the time. I listen to a lot of recovery podcasts. What are some other ones you like listening to? Um, I listen to Recovery Talk, um, two guys from Florida. I listen to Naked Mind. I listen to... I'm trying to think of all of them on the top of my head. Just mostly recovery elevator and recovery talk. Thank you for listening. If you had a pet raccoon, what would you name it? Phoebe. Okay. Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? No. I'm sorry. Okay. We. <laughs> all right. What parting piece of guidance, Liz, can you give to listeners before we depart? Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. No matter what happens, you can wake up the next day and keep going. Just don't ever give up. Liz, I, I do want to ask one more question before mm-hmm. we depart. Well, well two more. You're, you might need to lose this line, but what are your thoughts on relapse? It doesn't have to be a part of your story. It doesn't have to be. People can go their whole life without relapsing. But if you do, I know you're going to feel the shame and guilt, but just know that you can make it through. You can pick back up and you can keep going. No matter what, it's gonna be okay. Just pick back up and keep going. And it doesn't have to be a part of your story. I love Uh -uh. that. 
And Liz, let's hear it. You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you're driving home from work and you stop by a crappy gas station to buy a $10 bottle of wine and drink it all before you get home, which is about a two minute drive. That checks out for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah, don't do it. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. And I appreciate you you listening to to many of the episodes. Keep doing it. Keep moving forward and uh, keep in touch. All right. Thank you, Liz. Awesome. Thank you. Before we conclude today, I want to read you a quote. It is, we could never learn to be brave and patient if there were only joy in the world. This is from Helen Keller. So if I'm hearing you correct, Helen, non-joyful times eventually yield more patience and bravery. If I'm picking up what you're throwing down, Helen, in the absence of joy, I don't know, when an addiction takes hold, we can learn necessary life skills such as fortitude, tolerance, acceptance, courage, and valor, and the importance of love. I think most of us know who Helen Keller was. She lived her whole life without sight and hearing. She attributes her success in life to these initial setbacks, which in the end were not setbacks at all. Recovery Elevator, go big because we eventually all go home. I love you guys.